Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games. Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. A quick warning before we start. This podcast is about some heavy topics, drugs, addiction, and drug overdoses. This episode also includes some swearing. So take care of yourself. And think about who's listening with you. Previously on Death Resulting. Like, I know the story sounds like I hate telling it because it makes me sound like a really messed up person. I think that this probably might be one of the most absurd and perverse prosecutions that I've experienced as an attorney. It's a crime because Congress made it a crime. No one should be selling drugs. These are deadly substances, and we don't want people selling poison on the street. It's 1984, North Carolina versus Maryland, a big game in the world of college basketball. A young Michael Jordan is on the court. In just a few months, he'll be drafted to the NBA. When Michael Jordan gets the ball 10 feet from the basket, there's hardly anything a defender can do. Beal did the right thing, stuck his hand... But he's not the only young superstar on the court. There's this six-foot, eight-inch kid from Maryland. His name is Len Bias. Lenny Bias, who's had such a big ball game. Double, made it. Two of the finest athletes in the country. Michael Jordan and Bias going up side by side. Here's the rebound. Michael Jordan. The finest athletes in the country. No one in the stands could truly comprehend just how important each of these guys would become in their own ways. Len Bias was supremely talented. One of those athletes who's hard to write about because all the cliches apply. His game was beautiful. He really did seem superhuman. And then off the court, he had this kind of hardworking, everyman, humble persona that made him relatable. He was the star. But here's Len Bias giving his coaches the credit. I can do it. And when you got a coach that puts confidence and faith in you like that, you can't go out but play. Just play well. Two years after that North Carolina-Maryland game, Bias gets selected as a first-round NBA draft pick. The Boston Celtics select Len Bias of the University of Maryland. He's 22, about to become a professional athlete, a national celebrity. Many 
people think he may be the best athlete in the draft. And Larry Donald, how would you position that? But Bias would never make it to the NBA. Two days after being drafted, Bias and his friends are partying in a dorm room back in Maryland, celebrating the start of his new life. That night, June 19, 1986, Len Bias died of a drug overdose. There are two stories that people tell over and over again about Len Bias's life. One is about basketball and the star that could have been. To this day, people still argue about whether Bias would have been better than Jordan. The other story people tell about Len Bias is a cautionary one about drugs. A story so powerful, it inspired laws that changed the lives of thousands of people, including Josh Cook in Manchester, New Hampshire, more than three decades later. This is Death Resulting. I'm Jason Moon. Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. One of the places Len Bias lives on is in academic papers on U.S. drug policy. Scholars point to his death as the origin of death-resulting laws. One of those scholars is Justin Hudson. Justin grew up learning about Len Bias through pop culture. Where I really first heard about him, believe it or not, was an episode of Say by the Bell. They had a Don't Do Drugs episode. And I believe A.C. Slater, the jock, mentioned Len Bias. Hey, remember Len Bias, the basketball star? Had everything, including cocaine. But one night he had too much and his heart stopped. It's a shame, too. He could have been great. As a student, Justin spent hundreds of hours researching Bias for a Ph.D. dissertation at the University of Maryland, the same university where Bias played, where students still wear Bias jerseys to games. I went there to do research on the image of the black athlete, and um, I kept coming back to the the Bias story just because um, the implications his death had on both sports and broader society. It was a perfect story at the perfect time, if you will. Well, it started off as local hero dies. He had it all. Len Bias was an all-American basketball star at the University of Maryland. Local news coverage. I'm really painting Bias as a, um, you know, the hero of Landover, Maryland, who had finally made it big and was struck down right before I make it really taste professional success. Celtics. He had it all until this morning when his heart gave out and he died. But kind of as news of the potential drug use came out, that narrative shifts a little bit. Maryland's All-American basketball player had just suffered a seizure from taking too much cocaine. Coverage starts linking bias with 
um, drug culture at Washington, D.C. One TV station gets their hands on a tape of the 911 call from the night Bias died. Brian Tribble, the man's voice you heard on that tape, is the man police suspect of supplying drugs to Lim Bias and other Maryland athletes. Now it's believed that the grand jury will hear a recording of that 911 conversation as they begin their investigation. Len Bias died of a powder cocaine overdose. And it turned into a huge story in the summer of 1986. Not just because he was a famous athlete, but also because of what was going on in America at the time around drugs. This is the typical tiny bottle for the new illegal drug of choice in America, crack. Powder cocaine had been around for decades, but crack cocaine was new. It was smokable and gave a shorter, more intense high. And it became a public health crisis, especially in black neighborhoods. Infant mortality rates, foster care rates, homicide rates, they all shot up in black communities as crack spread. But the media didn't exactly frame it as a public health crisis. The coverage of crack was full of coded racist language. How many cracks you need? I can get the good crack. 48 hours on crack street. It's criminal. It could be anybody's street. Do you call this a standard crack house? It's a crack house. Standard in this person. You, you go back and look at any rhetoric from the 1980s, it's almost like a plague. Like, uh, contagion spreading from black neighborhoods. So you're out to insulate this community. Most assuredly, I, I couldn't have put it better myself. This drug was spread to suburbia, this drug was spread to rural America. It's hard to believe in this wonderful, prosperous community, on this lovely street in these nice houses, what you're talking about is going on. It's like the nightmare on Elm Street. In 1986, the news was full of stories about drugs and the harms they caused, real and imagined. And so when Len Bias died of a cocaine overdose, it took on a larger meaning. And it helped launch the next phase of the panic surrounding drugs. What was America going to do in response? The death of Len Bias has become more than a medical story, more than one young athlete's self-destruction. It's also blossomed into a kind of national morality play with different people writing different plots with different victims, heroes, and villains. Len Bias was a role model, a star at the height of his promise, in peak physical condition. If he could die from cocaine... At a Washington press conference, University of Maryland basketball coach Lefty Drizel said he hoped Bias's death would launch a new war on drugs. Cocaine is a killer, and if we can capture the moon, we can sure blow up all the cocaine or do something to stop cocaine from coming into this country and into our youth. Blow up all the cocaine or do something. It sounds kind of ridiculous. But when the crack panic reached Congress, that urge to do something, it took hold. The hatred and the fear of drug users was so out of control. This is Eric Sterling. Eric is a guy who knows the story of Len Bias's death and its impact so well, he could almost tell it all himself. 
within you know, a few, I mean, rumors. How does this guy die? Why did he die? He's, a, you know, he's supposed to be squeaky clean. Well, hmm, rumors, hmm. Then the autopsy, it's drugs, drugs, drugs. It's, now we have an epidemic. In the summer of 86, Eric was working in Washington for Congress. He was a lawyer for the House Judiciary Committee, Subcommittee on Crime. He was perfectly positioned at the center of what happened next. Len Bias died during campaign season, just months from the 1986 midterm congressional elections. Reagan is in his second term as president. Republicans control the Senate. Democrats have the House. The election is November. This is July. And the speaker, you know, is on the phone with the Democrats around the country. What are you hearing? What's the country talking about? What's commanding attention? And the word is coming back. It's drugs. It's crack. Both parties saw political value in being tough on drugs. So rather than fight against each other, they fought to outdo each other. With congressional elections coming up, each political party rushed to sign up for the war on drugs. The war against drugs is not a Democratic war, and it isn't a Republican war. It's an American war. There's a place for all of us on the battlefield. What Congress began working on that summer would become one of the signature pieces of legislation in the war on drugs. Broadly speaking, it poured more money into the enforcement of drug laws, and it required tough mandatory minimum sentences for drug crimes. This law would introduce the now infamous 100 to 1 sentencing ratio for crimes involving crack versus powder cocaine. Five grams of crack got you the same minimum mandatory sentence as 500 grams of cocaine. It was a sentencing ratio that, in effect, punished poor black people for their drug use a lot more than wealthier white people. You would hear language like, we must send a message. We have to send a message to the drug-dealing thugs and scum that America is not going to tolerate this kind of thing. In the end, a huge majority of Congress signed on to that message. The Anti-Drug Abuse Act of 1986 passed both the Senate and the House in near-unanimous landslides. And in October of 1986, just four months after Len Bias died, President Reagan signed this new anti-drug bill into law. The American people want their government to get tough and to go on the offensive. And that's exactly what we intend, with more ferocity than ever before. The Anti-Drug Abuse Act of 1986 was enormous, and it changed society. It supercharged the law-and-order approach to drugs in America. America's prison population soared, and Black people made up a disproportionate share of that population. And that really hasn't changed since then. Not long after the law was enacted, Eric Sterling started to regret his role in crafting it. He left his job on Capitol Hill. And for decades now, he's been an advocate for drug policy reform. When I meet the family members of people who have gotten these long sentences, or when I think about the fact that 
I played a central role in writing what is probably, in terms of number of legal injustices, the most unjust law ever written in the United States. It's disheartening. You're someone like Bias who dies the way he dies. You, you know, you, obviously, you lose control of your narrative. People can use it for all types of situations. For Justin Hudson, one of the ironies of this history is how lawmakers used a famous black athlete's death to justify policies that would harm black communities. The fallout from the drug policy is astonishing to me. Because people wanted to do something, they did something, but you know, that legislation destabilized communities and kind of perpetuates a cycle of drug use in certain communities. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games. Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. And I know the name now that you're talking about it. I know the name Len Bias. Yeah. Everyone Wait, it was the Celtics, right? You got drafted too? That's right, yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I do, I do know the story. I don't know where I heard it, though. I'm not sure what I expected Josh to say when I talked to him about Len Bias. I mean, what can he say? But Len Bias' death and Josh Cook's fate are directly connected. Along with everything else it did, the Anti-Drug Abuse Act of 1986 created a new penalty, a 20-year mandatory minimum sentence for drug distribution resulting in death, the death-resulting law. Congress wanted to do something in the wake of Len Bias's death, and they're doing it to Josh. But some people think death-resulting charges aren't used nearly enough. A question that I ask myself quite often is, in my daughter's death, who, who do I put the bulk of the responsibility on? And I've got to say, I think that person who delivered it to her bears the bulk of the responsibility. Matt Capaluto lives in Southern California. In 2019, his daughter, Alexandra, who was 20, was home from college on a winter break. One morning, just two days before Christmas, Matt says his wife found Alexandra dead in her bedroom. We had no idea how she had died. Um, we, we called um, medics and 
they ruled her death as an accidental overdose. Alexandra died of a fentanyl overdose, the same drug Josh gave his friend Liz. But Alexandra's death was different in an important way. We found out that she had, through Snapchat, got what she thought was oxycodone, but it was a counterfeit pill uh, made of fentanyl. A counterfeit pill. Remember those three waves of the opioid epidemic. First pills, then heroin, then fentanyl. Well, the fentanyl wave we're living through now is evolving. At first, fentanyl was mixed into the heroin supply chain. But now, fentanyl is being mixed into other drugs. Meth, cocaine, it's even sprayed onto pot leaves. And now, increasingly, fentanyl is being pressed into counterfeit pills. Pills that are made to look like prescription drugs, like oxycodone. So now there are people overdosing on fentanyl and dying who think that they're taking something else entirely. And I started to think that through. And accidental overdose, that terminology just didn't sit well with me. The more I thought about it, uh, I think a more accurate description is my daughter was fatally poisoned. This is a really important distinction for Matt. The way he sees it, his daughter didn't take too much of something she wanted. She didn't know what she was taking, like someone slipped poison into her drink. It seemed obvious to Matt that his daughter had been murdered. He says he argued with the local police to see it that way, but they ruled his daughter's death an accident. Matt saw in his daughter's death a systemic problem not just with fentanyl and drug dealers, but with the way law enforcement was handling these cases. He connected with other people who'd lost loved ones to fentanyl, and he became an advocate. Today, he's president of a nonprofit called Drug-Induced Homicide. It's an advocacy group trying to get every state to adopt its own version of the death-resulting law and to get prosecutors to use the charge more often. Matt's group sells purple wristbands. They organize protests. We've got a long ways to go, but we've done pretty darn well at changing the perception of these deaths. Um, We are starting to see uh, law enforcement, um, uh, news media referring to these deaths as poisonings rather than overdoses. Just weeks before we released this story, Matt sent me a video. being aggressive about this. I'm not going to let drug dealers get away with murder. It's not going to happen anymore. It's not going to happen uh, if we can help it. It's a press conference from November 2021, hosted by the District Attorney of Orange County, California. DA Todd Spitzer is standing at the mic, surrounded by poster-sized photos of people who died from fentanyl. He's flanked by cops. California doesn't have a local version of death resulting on the books. And Spitzer was announcing a new legal strategy to get around that. He says prosecutors in his office will force anyone pleading guilty on a drug distribution charge to sign a form that says they know drugs are deadly. Then, if they're ever arrested again for selling drugs that someone fatally overdoses on, prosecutors will use that as evidence in a murder charge against them. We're going to offer that into evidence, and the jury's going to see that. 
they're going to see that that person was told, if you give manufacturer... Just a few months before, Matt had described this very idea to me over the phone. Watching this press conference was like hearing Matt's words come out of the DA's mouth. And sure enough, Matt was there. He was at the press conference representing his group. And at one point, the DA, Todd Spitzer, held up a purple bracelet. It was the one Matt's group sells on its website. I knew he was all in, but I personally didn't understand it. And then they gave me this bracelet. And it and their website, and it says it's, it's not an overdose. And I've been a police officer. I've been a prosecutor for many, many years. I had to really think about that. Fentanyl has changed everything. The drug dealers today, because of fentanyl, they're serial killers. And these are the these are the easy pickings. I mean, we can go get these guys off the streets immediately. For Matt, victories like this make him optimistic. People are coming to see this the way he does. And death-resulting laws are gaining steam in state houses across the U.S. Since 2009, 11 states have passed new death-resulting laws or expanded existing ones. Right now, at least 25 states in all corners of the country have a version of the death-resulting law on their books. That's all in addition to the federal law passed back in 86. Sometimes they're even referred to as Len-Bias laws. But whether you agree with those laws or not, it's worth considering the consequences of this approach for people who sell or share drugs. We know there's data to suggest that black people are given longer sentences when charged with death resulting. And that means that while being charged with death resulting is serious for anyone, it can be much more serious for some. I mean, prosecuted by charging people with Drug-induced homicide, they ain't going to stop nothing because you never get the big the, the, the big guys. They out there. They don't never touch no drugs. They drop it off and give it to somebody. So, you know. This is James Linder. He's 41. He's black. The advocacy group Drug Policy Alliance singles out his case as an example of racial disparities in how death-resulting laws are enforced. I called him inside the Dixon Correctional Facility in Illinois. People going to get high. That's one thing I learned. They're going to get high, and no matter what you do, they're going to keep doing it. James's history with the criminal justice system starts long before he was charged with death resulting. When he was a freshman in high school, 16 years old, prosecutors charged him as an adult for armed robbery. A judge gave James 11 years in prison. When James got out, he says he struggled with cocaine addiction. Then he spent his late 20s and early 30s in and out of prison for drug possession, drug distribution, possessing a firearm with a felony record. Once you, it's like once you get a number from the Department of Correction, they try to send you, they're going to send you back any chance they get. In 2014, James was 34 and getting out of prison. He managed to line up a job at a bakery. But James says his parole officer messed up the paperwork he needed to be able to travel to the job. James says the mistake cost him the job at the bakery. And he says he felt stuck. 
He wanted to help his family. He had a son. I didn't have no job. I had to, I had to, I had to pay a phone bill. I had to buy clothes for my son. I had to get food. I had to, you know what I'm saying, help my sister pay rent. It was like, it was kind of, it was real hard. James started selling heroin. On January 30th, 2015, James sells a gram of heroin to a guy named Cody Hillier. Cody then shares the heroin with his girlfriend, Danielle Barzik. They'd met in rehab the summer before. Within hours of Cody buying the heroin from James Linder, Danielle dies of an overdose. Local police investigate. James and Cody are both prosecuted. Each of them had a role in distributing the drug that caused Danielle's death. But only one of them was charged with her death. Cody, who's white, was charged with unlawful possession and unlawful distribution of heroin. He was sentenced to probation. James, who's black, was charged under Illinois' death-resulting law. He was sentenced to 28 years in prison. Probation for the white defendant. 28 years in prison for the black defendant. We spoke to the prosecutor whose office charged both Cody and James. My name is Patrick Keneally. I've been the McHenry County State's Attorney for five years. Um, they, I, was, I initially started in the office back in... Patrick Keneally is a big supporter of death-resulting laws. On his campaign website, he says he's charged more people with death resulting in his county than any other county in Illinois. Patrick, who is white, doesn't believe that race had anything to do with the different sentences for Cody and James. He says, for one, Cody cooperated with the investigation. He brought police to James, did a controlled buy. He says James refused to take police further up the drug supply chain. Patrick Keneally also says James's criminal record was much longer and more serious than Cody's. Mr. Linder's sentence here can adequately be explained by the nature of the offense that he committed as well as his criminal history without resorting to race. Look, there are a lot of ways to debate whether and how race impacted the outcome of James's case. Did James have a long record because of systemic economic disadvantages? Or because his neighborhood was over-policed? Or because when he was 16, prosecutors charged him as an adult, where they might have seen a child if he was white? I can't say any of that for sure. But what we do know is what happened at James's trial. James was tried before a white judge and an all-white jury in McHenry County, Illinois. Even in the original pool of about 40 potential jurors, there were no black people. And it was like four, like four or five, I think, Latino. That's about it. No, no blacks available. How did that feel when you were looking out at that pool of possible jurors and you didn't see any black faces? Scary. Real scary. I was like, what the... James says he does bear some responsibility for Danielle's death. He told me he's willing to accept some punishment for that. But it's the length of his sentence, especially compared to what Cody got, that he can't understand. 
I mean, both of us is to blame. The only thing I'm mad about is 28 years because I, 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 um, I apologize for my involvement in this stuff. And I was, I was, I was willing to take way more than time than I supposed to get just to teach me a lesson about dealing with in small amounts of heroin. And uh, it seemed like I got fucked and he got off. James's projected parole date is in the year 2035. Next time on Death Resulting. Josh Cook will go to federal prison for Liz's death. But how long he goes to prison, whether the judge is harsh or lenient, that's not just about Josh and what he did. It's also about what was done to Josh long before he met Liz. You know, like I understand that he is an adult and he makes his own choices. And that's easy for a lot of people to say to me, you know, to cheer me up or whatever. But they don't know what I've done to him. My mom has like a messed up way of trying to protect me and like help me. It just, it was all bad. We got caught. Death Resulting was created by the Document Team at New Hampshire Public Radio. This episode was reported by me, Jason Moon, Callan Tansel-Suddeth, and Jack Rodolico. The executive producer is Jack Rodolico. The executive editors are Dan Barrick and Rebecca Lavoie. Additional editing by Lauren Shulgin, Todd Bookman, Felix Poon, Gabrielle Healy, and Christina Phillips. Callan Tansel-Suddeth was our production intern. Fact-checking by Sarah Sneed. Artwork, distribution, and promotion by Sarah Plord. Music by me, Jason Moon. You can find more of our reporting online at nhpr.org document. ever meet someone who seems kind of off? Whether it's a creepy neighbor or random phone number that keeps calling you, Truthfinder has you covered. You can search for people by name, address, phone number, email, and more. Truthfinder can be especially helpful for running confidential background checks on anyone you're planning to meet from online dating apps. Go to truthfinder.com slash podcasts for a special offer. That's truthfinder.com slash podcasts to access your special offer today. The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home.